Well, hello everyone and welcome to, well, I would say the Christmas special, but since we're, we were too late for Christmas, Paul, we're in, the, in between Christmas and New Year now. It's sort of the festive special. Exactly. So, yeah, normally this would have come out before Christmas. but we, ha- we did have like all the best intentions of recording this on like the mm. 12th of December. But then my car blew up. And I was I got sick. You, you were sick. I got sick. And I then, had a deadline that needed hitting. And um, even then I still missed it by about two weeks. <laughs> and quite frankly, I just didn't want to see you. True. <laughs> Largely because my car kept blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here. Well, yeah. yeah, so it's kind of, although most of my facts I prepared earlier, they're still kind of Christmassy. Yeah, yeah my facts are all Christmassy. So just kind of cast your mind back a few days, everybody. Or if you listen to this in like July 2020, then it doesn't really matter anyway. Ca- cast your mind forward to exactly. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What wonders are going to be revealed yeah. on the SBS festive special 2019? It's, the, it's still Christmas. You know, all the adverts are still Christmassy on TV. Yeah, exactly. We'll fit right in. It's fine. And I saw the University challenge christmas special is on the 2nd of january so oh is it if they can do it oh so can we yeah exactly and yes i am comparing yes or bs to university challenge so we've compared it to university challenge which i believe is the longest running quiz show on british television is, is that right and yeah. um i've compared it to hamlet before <laughs> so we're really reaching for the sky we're here. nothing if not modest on yeah. yes or bs yeah well, our contribution to british culture is almost unparalleled <laughs> And on that joyous note, I've got so many... I'm so excited. I've got that many amazing plans for this episode. You have been going on about the facts you prepped for this for weeks. Months, even. Yeah, true. They're not even that good, but it's not about the fact. It's more the format I'm going for. Oh, Lord. Because... Are you pulling something new out of the bag? Because last last Christmas, you introduced bonus points. Oh, you're on on the right track. Oh, Lord. Here we go. Anyone who's listened to the 2018 Christmas special... You will know that I gave a couple of bonus points away for the festive season, mm-hmm. and I was beaten six-one. Mm-hmm. This time, not Have you only recovered from that. <laughs> not really, <laughs> but this time, not only am I going to give out bonus points within the facts. I've got a few random, like stop the presses, random Christmas fact to throw in. Oh lord! So it's like a fifty-fifty. Yes or BS? Is this right? Is it wrong? Who knows? Right. So with that in mind, Paul. Okay. These facts could come at any time. There may be a Christmas song to introduce them. Oh, good Lord. They won't. I'm, I'm not good. Good. <laughs> it's time for a Christmas. What have you done fact. to this? This used to be such a simple game. <laughs> it still is simple. It's, right. Everything is still yes or BS. Something here is simple. So, <laughs> so my very first fact. Right. This is the proper yes or BS fact. Okay. But bonus fact could come anytime. Right. Okay. Do I get a point for every one of these yes, bonus facts? Oh, so a, it's, exactly. it's going to be quite a high scoring game. It is. I think it's going to be like 45 nil or something oh, at one word. point. Just for the record, I still only have three facts. <laughs> because you don't get into the Christmas spirit. Paul. I'm not doing anything like this for it's, mine. Which is why I'm probably going to lose. Because <laughs> anytime I do something different, I always, I always end up losing. But can you guess where I'm going to go with my very first fact? It's going to be ancient Rome and it's going to be Japan. <laughs> it's ancient Rome. Oh, oh what a surprise. <laughs> Buckle Woo! up, everyone. Get in your chariots. But do you know what their winter festival was called? Which was, I think it was 17th and the 23rd of December. 
I will know this, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. It's called Saturnalia. Oh, that was that? Yes. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I did know that. But <laughs> I, I thought that was something else. You said that with such an incredulous shock. Yeah, I thought Saturnalia, I knew that was a festival, but I, I thought that was something like harvest time kind of thing. Well, you're kind of correct because Saturnalia was an agricultural god. He was kind of god right. of farms and such like. And apparently he ruled over a time of such bounty. There was no slaves, everything, everybody was equal. Everything was great under the rule of Saturn. Okay. Back in the day, which is the old Roman legend, which is one of the reasons why the roles were reversed on Saturnalia. So like the masters would serve the slaves. Oh, right. Okay. Um, Yeah. Well, obviously they were re-enslaved the the day after, which was a bit of a shame. Yeah, Boxing Day is always a bit of a (laughs) laugh. I don't know if the Romans got fully into the spirit. The sort of period of merry misrule is a sort of long-standing Christmas thing. Exactly. Now, actually, if you want to hear more about kind of Saturnalia... No, I'm all right, thanks. (laughs) Well, for those who do, I'm actually, because I was inspired by... Because remember a few months back, we did an episode with The Endless Knot with Avon and Mark. Mm. And their 2018 Christmas episode, Mm -hmm. they had a really good bit on Saturnalia. Right. But it's one particular bit of Saturnalia I want to focus on. Right. And it was the gift giving. Okay. Now, I just want to point out for the record, I've received no gifts from you. But not yet. Yes, they're in my flat. I haven't seen. This is the first time I've seen you. Yet. Oh, in your flat. What in have you air got quotes. Me? Some bonus points. <laughs> the pleasure of recording this is my gift. So I'm going to give you uh, three examples of some gifts that were given at Saturnalia. Right. And I want you to guess: is this a real gift that was given, or is this BS? Okay. Now, in the festive spirit. There's a point available for each one of these. Okay. So this is like your Middle English recipes It one. is. Okay. It's exactly that one. Now, if you bear in mind, one of the themes of Saturnalia gifts was a lot of them were often gag gifts, kind of like a joke. Oh, right. Okay. So they weren't always... I thought you meant like a gag. Like... <laughs> That's the way your mind is. <laughs> that's, that's what you want for Christmas, Paul. I didn't realise the L. James was that old. <laughs> no. Joke gifts. Right. So, we're talking about... You might remember the Emperor Maximinus Thrax we talked about Oh, this season. yes. This rings a bell. Who was he, he again? He was supposedly eight foot six tall. Yes, I remember this. And he had many great feats of strength. Yes. If you want to hear more, you can head back to... I forget which episode it was. What a reliable historical account that was. <laughs> <laughs> but... In the year 236 AD, he Mm -hmm. gave his lovely wife, Cecilia, a gift for Saturnalia. Okay. Now, just a few days before the gift-giving day, um, Cecilia had a a beloved dormouse called Hortensia. Uh Uh-huh. But little Hortensia died a few days before Christmas, unfortunately. Okay. They're not known for their longevity, Dormice, <laughs> I believe. I think the Romans used to eat them quite a lot as well. Yes, that's true. Yes. So basically, what Maximinus did, he said, you know what? With the roles being reversed, your beloved pet shall become like an emperor for the day. Okay. And he had little Hortensia embalmed in the same manner as an Egyptian pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And he presented this as a gift to his wife, Cecilia. How tasteful. <laughs> and she kept that gift uh, for the rest of her life because she thought it was a very thoughtful and loving gift to get a mummified dormouse okay. for Saturnalia. Okay. Yes or BS, Paul? Okay. Uh, mummifying a dormouse, that must take all of two minutes. <laughs> You've got to get a tiny little funnel for the embalming fluid. Because <laughs> um, a dormouse is about the size of your thumbnail, isn't it? It's absolutely, well, it's not maybe not, <laughs> maybe not that small, but they're immensely small. <laughs> I think maybe they could fit in the palm of your hand. Yeah, yeah. Basically. Um, 
Okay, a mummified dormouse. Mm. You say she kept this for the rest of her life. What, is it just like in a drawer? Or was um, it like around I her neck? I think she displayed it in one of their homes, I think. Displayed it? Yeah. Okay. She loved that little dormouse. Like a paperweight. Yeah, like... <laughs> Became a functioning dormouse. <laughs> but with more, a bit more gravitas. A pet dormouse? Yeah. Why would you have a pet that hibernates? That's like having a part-time pet. <laughs> People have tortoises as pets. They well, that's, a, that's a terrible pet and all. <laughs> You've got a pet that barely moves that you only see for half the year. What's the point? You, you know what? Want... You haven't got a pet. <laughs> Maybe she wanted to loan... won that list for two years as well. Tops. Well, so you, yeah, you... true. Yeah. Dormouse are one of those things where the heart beats like a thousand beats a minute and it sort of eats its own body weight and seeds every half hour or something, isn't it? Well, I think you're describing your own dietary requirements. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been, not been very well, so I've not been in the gym for a while. Um, okay. I, it sounds... I say this every single time you open your mouth in this game, but that mm-hmm. sounds very plausible, and it also sounds like something you could make up. Mm-hmm. But I think that might be true. So you think the Emperor Maximanus Thrax gave his wife a mummified dormouse as a Saturnalia gift? Yes, I do. That fact? Yeah. B.S. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I've got a really good feeling about this. We're starting as we mean to go on here, right? Are you ready for gift two? This is already BS. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're moving on to Caligula. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, God, this could be anything. Ooh, this right. is I'm excited. Okay. Now, you know probably a little bit about Caligula. Do you know uh, what his name means? Oh, I, um, I get them all muddled up because Cicero, I think, means something like chickpea. Mm, um, and one of them has something to do with it's something to do with having tiny feet or something, is it? Uh, there's a feet connection. It means little boot. Little boot, yes. Or that's little it. soldier's boot. Right. Because when his father was campaigning in Germany, uh, little Caligula, mm-hmm. or his proper name, Gaius, Gaius Caesar, mm-hmm. he was he used to follow along with the soldiers, and the uh, soldiers right. affectionately called him little boot. Not, he, d- he didn't like the nickname or something. Is that true? Or I he don't didn't... know. I don't know a lot about Caligula, actually. I've got a <clears> feeling <throat> that he didn't appreciate it. He would rather have been known by something grander, but I don't know. Mm. That, might, that might not be true. Yeah, well, I'm not actually, I don't know too much about Caligula because the sources tend to focus on his cruelty, mm. sadism, extravagance, and sexual perversion. Yes. Which you know as Monday afternoon. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, he's had time to prep jokes. <laughs> There's so many. All right, okay. sort of jokes. Uh, uh-huh. But apparently one of Caligula's acts of horror, when he was at a, a games at the arena, he was apparently bored during an intermission and he had his guards get a section of the crowd thrown to wild animals to be killed because he was bored and there were no prisoners available to do it. So he just killed some people. Killed some he... people in the crowd. Is, so that, is that true? I don't know. This is one. Uh, this could be apocryphal, or it could be it's it actually of, happened. Right, or okay. it could be... Uh, we don't know if that's yes or BS. He sounds lovely. Oh, he's a, oh you waste. We've got his Saturnalia gift to no, come yet. Oh, me, right. <clears throat> now, we mentioned earlier on that it was kind of role reversal from slaves to masters. Yes. So... This is from this point on, yes or BS. So as Caligula was serving one of his household slaves, he lifted up the platter, but instead of food, there was a wax tablet. And Caligula told the slave, on this tablet, it says, you are now a freed slave. You are, go live your life, do what you want. Mm-hmm. But Caligula hadn't signed it with the imperial sign of approval. He'd actually written, this is a joke at the end of it. All right. But okay. the slave, not being able to read, was delighted. All right, okay. And Caligula, thinking it was even more hilarious, the next day he told him of this joke and he packed that slave off to be a galley slave 
oh. in the Navy. Right. Because he thought that was just hilarious. Okay. So he gives him a fake sort of emancipation. Yes. And then tells him that it's fake. And then just to compound his misery. Sends him off to be one of the worst jobs. Right. You could imagine. Okay. Um. Uh, uh, right. That sounds very true as well. <laughs> what a dickhead. <laughs> I think it's true. Is that your final answer? Yeah. I think that's true. That is also BS. <laughs> These are all going to be BS. Isn't it? It's just because you wanted to talk about the Romans again. <laughs> you couldn't find anything interesting. <laughs> so you made them all up. So I just made up some Roman uh, Is that based on anything or have you just made up a horrible um, story? No, I made it up. I thought that sounds like something Caligula would have done. It sounds like something you would do if you were an emperor. <laughs> <laughs> where do you get that impression from? I would be a benevolent dictator. Quite frankly, um, if I was given power, everything would be great. They would say, wow. And for you. <laughs> and isn't that what's most important? <laughs> so you're ready for the okay. third and final <clears throat> gift. Right. So we're going back to two more old friends of ours, um, mm. Commodus and Marcus Aurelius. From Gladiator. From Gladiator. We've mentioned mm. them a few times. I think... We briefly touched on the fact that Marcus Aurelius was a well-known Stoic philosopher. Uh, we might have done, but I've blanked it. <laughs> You're so useless at this. I'm right, 2020. It's I'm history. Getting... I just switch off as soon as it starts. <sighs> but his son, Commodus, he wasn't quite as interested in Stoicism as his father. Mm-hmm. So as his gag gift to mm-hmm. his father, Marcus Aurelius, he wrote a list of, recomm- of his own Stoic meditations mm-hmm. that he said we should replace your meditations, Father, with the meditations of Commodus. Okay. This was like out of his joke. So on this list of recommendations he gave to his father, he said, you need to increase cavorting. <laughs> so get yourself- That's just a rule in life anyway. <laughs> you don't have to be a Stoic philosopher for that. <laughs> um, drink more wine at breakfast. True. (laughs) Again, this is just a a list of your Mondays. These are my New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Watch more plays. True, yeah. You do do enjoy a play. And open a gambling den next to the Senate building. (laughs) Is that also on your. That's a longer term goal of mine, but, uh, you know, you never know. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it, though. Um, It's because gambling was also legal during Saturnalia, whereas it was illegal the rest of the time. Oh, really? So Commodus thought it would be a great idea. To have a gambling den open oh, right, okay. every Saturnalia. And those were the recommendations he gave to his father. Increased cavorting. Yes. That sounds very general. Well, what are you going to say? Go to this specific pub and get drunk. And cavort more. <laughs> yes, exactly. Did cavort have a more like precise meaning? Did, was it a euphemistic term back then? Um, I don't know. Cavorting. This is just... Because we just would use it to mean like having a riotously good time. Mm. I think that's the context it means here as well. Right. Just kind of okay. So it's like kind of like just be, have more fun. Yeah. Just get out more. Right. Okay. More wine at breakfast. Mm. More wine at breakfast implies that he's already having wine <laughs> at breakfast. <laughs> it could mm. well have been. Okay. And a gambling den. Mm. Again, this sounds this sounds plausible. It sounds probably more plausible than the other three, but I think you've maybe gone for three out of three. I think mm. these might all be BS. You think so? Or you've put a little sting in the tail and this one's actually true. Mm. I'm going for the three out of three. I think that's BS. There's something about increased cavorting. <laughs> and the gambling den, that sounds like you've just thrown that in to, to kind of bring in the fact that gambling was legal during Saturnalia. I think this is BS. Final answer? Yes. That is 
also BS. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, I pulled it back at the end. The end of fact one. So none of that was... So the the fact that they give these gifts out is true, but yeah, none of those true. were real gifts. None of those were real gifts. Do you have any examples of real gifts? Um, They're not as exciting as mine. They're like small ornaments they would often give. Oh, right. Um, That's about all I know. Ornaments. I had this idea of... <laughs> I had this idea of horrible gifts and I thought... So he has 10 minutes of absolute nonsense. What did they actually give? Ornaments. <laughs> we also learned some other random facts. True. Right, well, uh, from the ridiculous to the uh, equally ridiculous. Oh. Um, yeah, well, actually, you can kind of come from ancient history kind of right back up to date with a, a subject... Dear to my heart, which is uh, science fiction. Ooh, now I'd like my science fiction. I, I love science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> All those lasers and things. <laughs> <laughs> Right up my street. I love all that intergalactic business. Oh, it's just great. I'm going to write a show called Intergalactic Business specifically to annoy you. Yeah, it'll be like Dragon's Den, but like set on the moon. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of sci-fi things and mm. all the rest of it, really. I don't particularly kind of get it. But I know that you like sci-fi. I do. And a while ago, you mentioned the uh, on here the, the Star Wars holiday specials. Oh, Jesus, yeah. okay. You mentioned them kind of just in passing. Mm. And I'd, I'd seen, I've never seen one all the way through. You have, though, I believe. Mm, I have. Yeah, but I've, I'd kind of seen clips on sort of clip shows about kind of the worst television programs ever. Because <laughs> they kind of looked down at it as not the best. Mm. Is that a fair it, assessment? Uh, yeah, it was kind of it, like, it's like a crazy acid trip of yeah. the show. Like, it's, there's nothing that makes sense mm. in the Star Wars holiday special really yeah apparently George Lucas just kind of like said yes you can do them but then kind of didn't wasn't really particularly involved in anything else well um, I think George Lucas built a giant money printing machine <laughs> and he just said he got a big approved stamp Say, yep That'll do, that'll do, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, so in uh, November 1978, this appeared on the TV. Yeah, it's 98 minutes long, which is kind of quite is. long. I had to watch it in bits. Goodness me, you were in bits probably by the <laughs> end of it. Um, um, yeah, all the old Star Wars cast is in there, plus Diane Carroll, who was a really famous stage actress. Yeah, I think she's, she's either a bartender or a cook. Oh, good grief. I forget which. It was a long time ago since I saw it. Yeah, she was a, a really accomplished. She won the Tony Award for Best Actress. She was the first African American actress to mm. win the Tony Award for Best Actress. B. Arthur's in it. Oh, B. Arthur was the barmaid. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, out of Golden Girls. Yes. Yeah. Um, James Earl Jones is in it and he gets credited, which he didn't get credited for the original Star Wars. Is that really? true? I don't know that. I, yeah, I don't know that. I can't honestly remember last time I saw Star Wars. Mm. I have, you, the, have you ever seen Star Wars? I've seen all of them at some point. I mm. watched the, um, not the one that's just come out, the one before that. Uh, the Last Jedi. Yeah, I watched that. Mm. And I, I'm going to see Star Trek for me is where it's at. I'm going to get you like a box. Which one's Star Trek? Is that the um, Patrick Stewart one? Yes. So you like Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I like Patrick Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> you like him. I'm yes. going to get you the next I like him when he's not in space. <laughs> I'm going to get you the next generation box set. I liked him a lot more when I saw him in The Tempest. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, here's a little bonus fact for you. Um, when Carrie Fisher was asked to do the DVD commentaries for the re-releases of the Star Wars films, she only agreed to do them if um, George Lucas would give her a copy of the Star Wars holiday special that she was in. Mm -hmm. So 
that when she was hosting a party and she wanted everyone to leave, she could put it on the telly. <laughs> really? Just such a Carrie Fisher kind that's of course. That's amazing. Yeah, that's the that's only thing that. that she asked for in oh. return for doing the DVD things. Um, so anyway, yes, that's the Star Wars holiday specials. But did you know a couple of years after that, there was also a Star Wars holiday album? Mm. Have you heard of this before? No, I haven't. Okay. Go on. Yeah. In 1980, a Star Wars-themed Christmas album was released called Christmas in the Stars. (laughs) Yes. And this is the fact, okay? So it had nine tracks. Mm-hmm. It was mostly kind of sung and sort of narrated by Anthony Daniels, who was the guy who played um, C-3PO. C-3PO, also known as um, my <laughs> alter ego. Oh, yeah. Yes, for the listeners, we often compare Paul to C-3PO. Yeah, we're in, in a big group chat at the minute, and it's full of C-3PO gifts. <laughs> People say that I walk into rooms and say things like, oh my, and yeah, which I kind of do, to be fair. Um, so yeah, Anthony Daniels kind of was mainly the voice of it. It was written by um, a Yale-educated music professor who's now a two-time Tony winner. <laughs> Really? Yeah, so the songs had some yeah, had some gravitas behind them. And also there was a song called R2D2 We Wish You a Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> that was sung by and was the first professional musical credit of John Bon Jovi. No, oh, no it wasn't. John Bon Jovi did not write R2-D2, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, so all of the others, apart from that one, are sung by Anthony Daniels. Um, so some of the titles on this album, it's kind of, I mean, there's nine tracks, but some of the titles are kind of typical Christmas fare. And some of them are a little more unusual. And we'll get onto the more unusual one in a minute. So, uh, yeah, Christmas in the Stars is the sort of title track. There's a song called Bells, Bells, Bells. That has nothing to do with Star Wars. It's like they couldn't even shoehorn like a character name. In there. There's one called Sleigh Ride. Um, there's this one called shocking. Merry Merry Christmas. There's one called The Meaning of Christmas. So there's sort of it is Christmas fair. But <laughs> nothing um, to do with Star Wars. But then um, track four mm-hmm. of nine is I'm sure a wonderful song. I've not had the pleasure of listening to it, but it's a wonderful song called <laughs> What Can You Get a Wookie for Christmas <laughs> when he already has a comb. That's see, that's that's slightly cleverer than the other ones. Yeah. Um, would you like to hear some lyrics? Oh, from, yes, I um, would. What can you get a Wookie for Christmas? So, <clears throat> what can you get a Wookie for Christmas when he already has a comb? Hmm. What can you get in a hurry for a furry kind of friend <laughs> like that <laughs> to take home? So was there a, a pregnant pause in the song as well? <laughs> no, he'll never wear galoshes. Oh, this is BS. <laughs> Only you would put galoshes into it. Or a hat upon his furry dome. What can you get? A Wookiee for Christmas when he already has a comb. Oh, this has to be BS. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, this was released later as a single in 1980, um, and it was credited not to Anthony Daniels, but to the Star Wars Intergalactic Droid Choir. <laughs> and it reached number 69, because of course oh, it did, well. <laughs> on uh, the Billboard nice. charts in mm. the United States. And so there you are. That's my uh, festive Star Wars fact about the uh, Star Wars Christmas album, Christmas in the Stars. If this is true, I refer back to the George Lucas money printing machine <laughs> or, and his a giant approved stamp. Mm-hmm. Because this can't be true. <laughs> 
this is ins- why w- who was the pub- publisher is that what you call oh, the music I, publisher I, I don't i don't know who the who sort of record label up? was no i don't was know was this before so 1980 i think that was when 1980 that yeah. was when empire strikes back came out i don't know the original one was 1977 1977 then i think empire was 80 so did this come out before or after Empire Strikes Back? I don't know. So Christmas 1980. Christmas 1980. So whenever Empire Strikes Back came out that year. Do you know how many copies it sold? Not that many, um, but it did go to a second reprint. So it sold enough and then kind of disappeared. And they are sort of rarities now if mm. you can track them down on um, on LP or on tape. So has it been remade into like digital form these days? I very, very much doubt it. <laughs> Should we start a campaign to get this remade? Did you listen to any of these songs when you were researching? No, oh, no unfortunately not. Um, I kind of don't want to involve myself in any of it. <laughs> That's probably what George Lucas said afterwards. Ah, <laughs> oh, this has to... See, I, would, I was going to say that was true until you mentioned the fact that they were galoshes. Like, why would the Wookiee... Who wrote that? John Bon Jovi I wrote did before that. I, came. I mean, uh, no, no, it's... Uh, <laughs> no, John Bon Jovi didn't write that. He was just the singer of that R2-D2 ah, song. Ah, okay. Uh, it would have been Anthony Daniels, presumably. That, that, so Anthony Daniels wrote this. this. Oh, he didn't write it. No, it would have been Maury Yeston. Maury Yeston. Who's the Yale-educated music professor who mm. um, began his career writing these songs. Um, yeah. I'm really torn on this one. I kind of, it sounds like something that a 1980s Star Wars product would be, but you're, you've just got like that smirk. smirk Did I write those lyrics? (laughs) Because I always go back to the Cat in the Hat book, the Dr. Zeus book that you wrote. Oh, yes, true, yes. And I said you didn't have the writing quality of Dr. Zeus. But it wouldn't take much to uh, write those lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell that to Maury. Povich, or whoever it was. <laughs> Don't tell that to Maury Povich. Is <laughs> that your new catchphrase for this? <laughs> right. Ah, oh, I'm going to say. Ooh, true. I'm okay. S- I'm going to fall. <sighs> true. Okay. Final answer. You think a Star Wars festive album was released in 1980? Yes. That included that song on it. <laughs> yes. That story is true. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that album exists, and it it looks ludicrous. The cover has um, the two droids. Mm. It's standing by like a proper cheesy Christmas fireplace with stockings <laughs> up and like a rocking chair and stuff, and it's all in like a big red wreath. Uh, yeah, there's a Star Wars holiday album. You're instantly now going to go and track it down. Oh, on I'm, eBay I'm, or good, I'm cutting this podcast short. <laughs> the rest of it is going to be the soundtrack on repeat for the next forty five minutes. Oh dear! Switch <laughs> off now, everyone. <laughs> Okay, well done to me, because I'm, mm, I'm... I thought I might have you on that. Ah, I see. I, actually, I was a bit worried that you might already have heard of it. But, no, yeah. I hadn't heard of that album. I I'll, definitely... I'll get you it for Christmas next year. Oh, oh I'm, get, I'm getting it myself now. <laughs> <laughs> that was what that break was. <laughs> this is the day after. We but before my next facts, I have ooh, my first Christmas bonus facts. Oh, here we go. And these right. are really quick little quick fire bonus points. Oh, all right, okay. So, is this yes or BS, Paul? Right. In Finland, there is a unit of measurement used for distance mm-hmm. called a porin kusima. Mm-hmm. Apologies for my Finnish pronunciation there. This distance is between five and eight miles and is a measurement of how far a reindeer can run before it has to stop to pee. <laughs> Okay. Much like you on your own runs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't last five to eight miles. 
15 um, meters. <laughs> um, oh, right. Okay. It's so beautiful. Um, well, now, I know that there's a very strange Finnish word for... I, I don't know what the word is, but it's the distance that you can still hear a dog barking at. And I saw that on Haggard Hawks. Yeah. So, is this inspired by Haggard Hawks? I know that there will be other unusual ones out there. I've just never looked them up. Mm. So I'm going to say this is probably true. Yeah, I think that's true. Okay, final answer? Yes. That is true. You oh. brought the bonus point back. Oh, I'll take that. And okay. the highest scoring game yet. Oh, God, how many of these have you got? Oh, about 45. We'll be here a long time, Paul. We're only aiming for about over, just over an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, there's not that many. But under my proper fact, right. the last couple of years we've missed out on kind of a Halloween episode. I think we really missed a trick. Yeah, we've kind of mooted doing it, but yeah, then, and then you it's know, kind it's of, us. Yeah, we just, by the time it comes, it's like, it'll be like 15th of November by the time we do it. Yeah, we'll release the Halloween special in April, mm. in good time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it was because of, we missed it, I wanted to kind of go for a creepy Christmas. All right, okay. So just because... a normal Christmas for you. <laughs> <laughs> because you might not know this, but it used to be kind of a tradition to tell ghost stories around the festive season. Uh-huh. Um, nobody's exactly sure where this tradition came from, but it died out kind of late Victorian period. Mm. It might have come from kind of an old pagan tradition, where it's like long nights, cold nights, bad yeah. weather... You'd gather around the fire and you'd tell ghost stories to each other. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd kind of bring back a bit of a, a kind of a spooky, ghostly tradition. Right. And it's actually, it's even mentioned in that song, uh, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. All right. It's saying, there'll be scary ghost stories and... Ah. Oh, I've never thought that. I so like that song as well. It was even kind of up until the 60s when it was still... Still a sort of tradition. It was still in people's minds. So mm. whoever wrote that song this is my terrible ignorance of Christmas songs and oh no I don't know who who, who wrote that but whoever song, wrote that knew of this tradition of ghost stories mm. um, now Central Europe has a lot of their own kind of Christmas ghosts um, mm -hmm. Krampus is becoming quite popular yes. these days um, I found another one called Frau Perkte oh hello she's a, <laughs> she's Frau a new... Perkte Frau Perkte right Found in the German and Austrian regions of the Alps. Right. Do you want to hear about Frau Perkte? Oh, yes. She sounds lovely. <laughs> Perkte. Is that her name or is that a German word that I don't know? Um, it's a German word. It means bright one. Ah. So apologies to any German speakers who have a better translation, but... Bright one. Bright okay. one. Uh, she was the patron saint of spinning. Oh. That's making wool. Yeah, not just, <laughs> just spinning around. <laughs> That's a very specific patron saint of spinning. <laughs> yeah. So she would appear during the 12 days of Christmas um, when it was actually, it was forbidden to spin. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why. It's wow. just, I don't know if it's connected to not working on holy days, maybe. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Could be. I don't know enough about why it's prohibited. Mm. But she would punish you if she found you spinning. Oh, right. Okay. Again, that's not spinning round because yeah. she, if you were spinning round, she was fine with the that. The patron saint of spinning around is St. Kylie, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the Cali Minogue fans out there appreciated that joke. Look at me making popular cultural references. Popular culture. She's not released a song in about 20 years. She did Glastonbury last year. Was she? Oh, well, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you feeling at popular cultural references. Uh, yeah, I don't know anything about popular music. Uh. But we're moving back to Frau Perkte. Okay. So what she would do if, kind of like Krampus, she would punish bad children who misbehaved during the year and give gifts to... Okay. They're well-behaved children. If right. um, you'd been a good child, you might get a small silver coin. In, oh, in, in... she pushed the board out. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have gone to all that trouble. Cash, really? Not even a voucher? 
<laughs> Where's my Xbox, Frau Perkter? <laughs> so she would give you a coin or some other shiny trinket. Of All sorts. right, okay. But you might think the opposite is a bit extreme for the naughty children. Mm. If they'd misbehaved, she would slit their bellies open, uh, remove their stomach and guts, and stuff the hole with straw and pebbles. And she no, was... that's not extreme at all. <laughs> she was particularly concerned to see that girls had spun their whole allotted portion of flax or wool during the year. And if they hadn't spun that portion, then, well, they're getting the, the stones and hair treatment as well. So if you're good, you get a little silver trinket. And if you're bad, you get disemboweled. <laughs> Pretty much. There's a slight imbalance in her uh, tricks and no, treats No, no, I, I, I think Frau Perkter was onto something here. Oh, it's just, <laughs> just the sort of early version of Super Nanny. <laughs> Instead of the naughty step, she's got like a scythe and a bag of pebbles. <laughs> they really know how to party in wow. the Austrian and German areas of the Alps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> uh, she would also slit your belly open if you... What? what Stumbles on your words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. What's put, that noise? too much milk it's, in that tea. It's Frau Berkter coming for me. <laughs> no, if you ate something on the night of her feast day. Oh, what she, was the feast day? Um, it was one of the twelve. Me- um, oh, so you just don't eat anything. For oh wrong. no, you had to eat um a, a traditional meal of fish and gruel. Oh, otherwise, <laughs> so if you ate anything different, she would slit your belly open as well. Fish and gruel. Yeah. I'd take the belly slitting <laughs> over that. In fact, no, I'd eat it, and then she could slit it open anyway, just to get that out of my stomach. <laughs> fish and gruel. <laughs> probably people had their doors wide open. Come on in, Frau <laughs> You know, just. Just, I'm living the peasant lifestyle in There's as much Europe. fish and gruel here as you want, love. Come on you in. Know, just take me now, Frau Perkter. I'm just done. I'm done with life. But that was the interesting little monster I found. Uh, okay. But my fact, mm-hmm. keeping in line with Christmas spooks. Okay. It's not actually a, a monster or a spook because we're going on to... UFOs. <laughs> right, okay. Aliens. You, Aliens lo- you love Christmas. your unsolved mysteries. I do. Honestly. Oh. This is just like becoming like the yes has greatest hits. That <laughs> <laughs> ancient Rome. <laughs> Aliens. Aliens. Were they connected? <laughs> no. Okay. No, Have you ever heard of the Warminster UFO? No. Okay. Right. Warminster. So, right. Okay. So from this from this point on, it's yes or BS. Okay. So my Frau Perkter facts were true. Well, yeah. she, not that she exists. That's not true. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> the story is true. Right. But Warminster, it's a sleepy Wiltshire town mm-hmm. in the south of England. Now, getting settled in. People getting close to their radios. <laughs> <laughs> their radios? How do you listen to podcasts? <laughs> People coming close to their radios. We're not on the world service. I was picturing a traditional, like, BBC Christmas. You've got ideas above your station. Oh, you, you, you'll see, Jones, 2020. Right. So, as people gather in close, I'll push, push their earphones closer into their ears. That makes more sense. As they listen to this. Mm-hmm. It all began on Christmas Day 1964. Right. With a series of bizarre sounds when housewife Marjorie Bai woke up early and headed off to church for Christmas Mass. Mm-hmm. But... As she was walking to Christmas Mass, there was a bizarre sound, which she described like a crackling of branches being pulled over gravel. So like branches snapping Mm -hmm. and kind of crunching, Mm -hmm. being pulled over gravel, which was then followed by a sonic deluge. (laughs) So uh, like an enormous sonic boom. Right. And menacing vibrations. 
Okay. And the sudden shockwave paralysed her to the spot. Right. Now, other residents also described a pounding on their roofs, which could be, which could have been linked to the sonic boom as well. And then there was also a high-pitched droning sound, and a flock of pigeons seemed to be killed in mid-air. <laughs> right. Later on, throughout the next year, in fact, these sightings continued of a large cigar-shaped UFO flying around Warminster. Mm-hmm. As these spooky events continued, cars would mysteriously stop. The sounds would continue. And crazy sonic booms. <laughs> You're really going for some sort of award nomination here. <laughs> right. But is all of this true, Paul? Did this happen in right. Warminster? So, or have I made up a crazy UFO Christmas story just because it's Christmas? And I- <laughs> <laughs> well, that story kind of fizzled out. It did. And, it did and so did that explanation. <laughs> I realised I I didn't wind down the fact as as I was hoping to. Not many stories end with, and it went on for the rest of the year. (laughs) I thought I had more, but that was where it finished. It kind of feels like it needs to... So what happened to Marjorie Bai? Is she still paralysed to the spot? Uh, (laughs) Do you have to drive around her if you're in Warminster? I think she died a number of years ago. Oh, She was elderly at the time in in 1964. So unless she's 100 and... She was elderly in 1964? Mm. But she still knew what a sonic deluge was. Well, they they had sonic jets then. Right. Okay. So she's she gets up, walks to Christmas Mass mm-hmm. on the way to Mass. There's Starts... a, a there's a big boom, mm-hmm. some odd noises around her, a, a great sort of waft of power or something, mm-hmm. and she she's scared witless. Does she end up going to Mass? Uh, she probably did actually. I don't know. Right. I don't know how that ends. <laughs> Right, really, and everybody it's else, like, it's, just, he has things happening on the roof. It's like the effort went into the first part of this story. It's like, you know, if when you're watching like the BAFTAs or something and they show sort of 10 seconds of a performance, there's a really good little performance in there, but then as soon as the clip ends, there's nothing else. <laughs> That's pretty much... So there's people being scared of things happening on their roof and there's a cigar-shaped thing flying around and birds are dropping out of the sky. Yes. But there's no conclusion to the story. There's no conclusion to the story. The, the UFO has disappeared later on. Right, so those... Those things happened. Um, <laughs> yes. Or <yes>, BS. <laughs> yeah. Basically, did these things happen in So Warminster? there's no... Like, did anyone investigate? Uh, they, they must have done. <laughs> but it was Christmas. So there was but no one was answering Christmas, the phone in, in, so in the Ministry of Defence. The Air Force wasn't available. Right. And then by Boxing Day, everyone was too hungover to care. Exactly. But it went on for a year. Mm, kind of on and off. A, a big cigar-shaped object. Mm, what we'll colour? Um... Brown with a Cuban band on it. <laughs> there was a mysterious cigar seller that had moved in <laughs> the, the previous Christmas. I think it was white. White. Mm. So it was a cloud. <laughs> that was moving at like 400 miles an hour. Well, now that detail you didn't add in. 400 what? miles an hour. It was moving at 400 miles an hour. Well, faster than that, apparently, because actually that's about as fast as normal jets go. Right. I'm, I'm really collapsing on this fact. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm... You, there is a, <laughs> You've put so much effort into that lady in the Alps. <laughs> Frau Perkter. Frau Perkter, that there's hardly anything to go on here. There's someone, there's some housewife's name. Where, where did you get the name from, if, um... I, if this is true? Marjorie Bai. Her Bai. story must have been reported somewhere to have Ooh, a name. In the Warminster Post. <laughs> Which, <laughs> that bastion of news. <laughs> I mean, it's up there with the Times, the Wall Street Journal, no, the Warminster quite, Courier. I think it was in the Sun or something. Or oh, the Mail. Right, okay. It was reported nationally. People right. went to visit the place. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> such a, a dearth of details. And I think if you'd made this up, there would have been more going on. I think that mm. if you'd made this up, there would there would be a conclusion to the story that it would have got investigated or something. So I'm going to say that this is probably true. Something happened on Christmas Day. Various things were reported, and then it, as all these things do, because none of them are ever true, it fizzled out. I think this is true. Final answer. Yes. You are correct. <laughs> I literally wanted a spooky fact. And that was the best I could find. That was like spooky Christmas. Well, it wasn't bad. It I wasn't mean, bad. The thing is, there was loads of them like Krampus and Frau Pochter and all these yeah. kind of crazy Christmas monsters. But I thought, hey, well, you, you, Paul's going to know those are all true. Frau Pochter I'd never heard of. She, mm. she needs to rein it in a little bit. She's got some issues. Well, excuse me, but I got my silver penny. Uh, mine's yet to turn up. So. She's chasing you with that scythe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the pebbles instead of the gruel. What do you think's happening after this podcast? <laughs> Just waiting in the car. <laughs> We're going to the pub, aren't we? <laughs> to see Frau Pucht. Right, well, that was a good fact in an odd kind of way. <laughs> it was really well put together fact. <laughs> in a weird kind of way, I was I kind of did the same in that I wanted to, um, when I was researching what to talk about, I wanted to find something that happened on Christmas Day. Mm. Um, so I looked up the day. It was the day that Gorbachev resigned. Really? Yeah, in 1991. Charlie mm. Chaplin died on Christmas Day um, in 1977. There was a thing called the Eggnog Riot took okay. place. This isn't my fact, this is oh, true. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, in 1826, four gallons of whiskey was smuggled into West Point uh, Military School mm-hmm. in New York and everyone got really drunk and there was a riot. It's called the Eggnog Riot. Uh, that was in 1826. Pius IV was elected Pope. I know he's a favourite of yours. Oh, in, yeah, uh, I love the Pius line. 1559. And um, 1066, Christmas Day. Do you know what happened? Oh, with Battle of Hastings. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. William the Conqueror was crowned. He was crowned on Christmas yeah. Day, yeah. Um, so various things happened, but I was like, none of these are kind of yes or bs enough. Mm. You know, I need something it's a little bit unusual. more meat. So there's a book that I sometimes use for um, Haggard Hawks, which is the Chamber's Book of Days, which is a sort of Victorian anthology of like local stories and mm. news stories and stuff from over the years. Um, and I thought I'll just search the back catalogue of this for things that happened on the 25th of December. And I came across the story of the Howden Dyke Donkeys. Okay. Okay. Now this is something that I kind of half knew the story behind it. Um, I should say that this entire thing is yes or BS. There, oh, is, no, right. there oh. is no bit of truth in this at all. So everything from now on is either yes or BS. Um, in the English dialect dictionary, there's a, a, a phrase which is a howden dyke donkey, which is kind of like like a curious spectacle or like a laughing stock. It's like something everybody's mm. looking at is a howden dyke donkey. And in 19th century slang, um, fun for everyone, like a howden donkey, was kind of like used for something like that brought everyone together and made them all laugh at it or brought everyone together, like a fun fair. Mm. You'd kind of say that kind of proverbially it was like a howden donkey um and i knew that this came from a story of some donkeys on howden dyke which is an island in the river ooze in east yorkshire mm-hmm. but i kind of didn't really know the backstory behind it until i did the research for this in the <laughs> chamber's book of days okay so this is in 1806 okay there's a, a vicar called john ormsby in the village of barmby on the marsh which is on the river ooze it's kind of a, f- a few miles outside Leeds. It's kind of between Leeds and Ghoul. All of this sounds made up so far. Barn <laughs> <laughs> like on the Marsh. Like... I should say Barn on the Marsh is a real place. It's, well, yeah. apologies to the on the um, Marsh residents. Yeah, so it's kind of east of Leeds, kind of halfway between Leeds and Hull, kind of around about there. And he was the, the sort of parish vicar of all of this sort of area. And he decides that for Christmas, 1806, they're going to kind of have, as part of the celebrations in the village, 
a live tableau vivant of the nativity scene. Mm -hmm. So he explains this to the parish council and people start volunteering their services and all the rest of it. And this guy says that he'll rig the stable. He'd rig like a yes. fake stable up. <laughs> yeah. um, they'd be Where like, Jesus was born. <laughs> yes, and someone else is going to play this part and someone's going to play this part. And a man called, according to his Chambers Book of Days, uh, Charles Brayton, who was a local merchant and a local farmer, he says, I have two donkeys. And he, he has them on the other side of the river in a little paddock. And he takes them every so often from his paddock on the, on the river down to some common grazing land and in this little sort of flat-bottomed boat thing. He takes them down the river and he says, I'll take them down and we can have them as part of the scene. So the vicar says, absolutely all over this. Yeah, get your donkeys involved. We'll <laughs> see you Christmas morning. So the meeting kind of disbands. So... Early Christmas morning, 1806, Charles Brayton goes out in the bottom of his house on the, on the riverside and he puts the gangplank across and his donkeys get on the little boat that he's got and he puts some hay on there for the manger scene and he has some other things, some lanterns and some food and all sorts of stuff for the kind of celebration that they're going to have. Mm. And he sets sail down the river, a couple of miles down the river just to kind of get to the, to the village. Unfortunately, he doesn't realise... <laughs> That there's now so much stuff on his boat that it's sitting a little bit lower in the water. <laughs> and there's an island, this Howden Dyke Island is in the middle of this river. He was bypassing that very foggy morning as well, I should say. And of course, it's Christmas morning. It's about six o'clock Christmas morning, so it's pitch black. Mm. Um, so he's sailing down his usual route. But obviously, the boat's sitting a little bit lower in the water. And it founders a little bit on a rock next to this island. So he goes, I need to jettison something off my boat. I need to lighten the load. So he chucks the hay... Mm -hmm the haystacks that he's got onto the island, not heavy enough. He's still stuck on the rocks. So he gets the gangplank out, leans it up against this little island, which isn't very big, but it's covered, It's big enough to be kind of covered in trees and grass and stuff. Mm. The donkeys kind of trot along the gangplank. The boat <laughs> floats off the rock. Now he's got no way of getting the donkeys back on the boat because there's no safe mooring spot. Mm. When he was stuck on this rock, he was fine, but there's no safe mooring spot to get the donkeys back on the boat. So he's rowing around this little island looking for somewhere where he can do it. The donkeys, happy as Larry, they're on the island eating the hay, <laughs> <laughs> kind of wandering around, plenty of fresh grass, leaking mm. cover under the trees and all the rest of it. They're just kind of pottering around this two donkeys. So... Time's going on. He goes, I have to get downstream to the village. I'll leave the donkeys, go down, see the vicar, explain what's happened. So he goes down to Barnby on the Marsh, moors up at the bottom, and he walks over to the church and he kind of explains the situation. The vicar says, doesn't matter about the donkeys. They'll be happy on the island. Let's have the mass and then... We'll all go down together and kind of try and fix the situation. So he sets up the nativity scene. The vicar gives his mass and there's all the hay and there's all the food and the drink and everything. Celebration continues. Mm -hmm. Everyone's starting to get a little bit worse for wear. It's all Christmas merrymaking, all of this. Suddenly the story of these two donkeys now trapped on this island, <laughs> half a mile downstream from the church, starts to go around the crowd. So the entire crowd walks along the bank Mm -hmm. and there's these two donkeys just sat there in the Christmas so... mist, just sort of looking at them going, this is great, we're, we're on a private island, we're eating some hay. So everyone on the bank starts falling about laughing, and this becomes a bit of a kind of running joke in the community. This is where this phrase comes from, of a Howden Bank donkey. So they, they kind of decide to kind of leave the donkeys there. They're pretty much happy, got some food, 
and it kind of starts to go around the local area that you should come and see these donkeys because it's <laughs> hilariously funny. Well, I don't know what, how they're defined. Hilariously funny. <laughs> in 1806. <laughs> there's two donkeys on an island. You know what? That's go, hilarious. Go and look at these trapped donkeys. Um, so uh, the time goes by, a couple of days after after Christmas, the donkeys have been there quite a while. Um, they start kind of throwing f- like fruit across for them to kind of keep them even happier. How, how wide was the gap? Oh, I don't know. Well, I've seen it on Google Maps. Oh. Um, and it's kind of not far enough to kind of wade across, and it's mm. not long enough to kind of put a bridge across. But you can launch fruit. Yeah, you can kind of bowl an apple across there, pretty much. Um, unfortunately, at 10th of January, a really strong storm blows in, um, a, a snowstorm, and there's no cover, of course, on the island. So at this point, the kind of local parish kind of go, actually, we need to get these donkeys off the island, otherwise they're going to perish. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, f- a makeshift mooring place is built very quickly out of a couple of poles sunk into the ground. A larger boat um, is brought in from the coast, a larger fishing boat. Uh, that's brought along. The donkeys are rescued, taken back along the paddock, and the whole debacle is over within a couple of weeks. But this peculiar phrase lives on in the language, and this was to do with the Howden Dyke donkeys that were trapped on an island in the River Ouse in East Yorkshire on Christmas Day, okay. 1806. Okay, so... Everything is yes or yes. So even the, even the phrase Howden. Everything, everything, everything from eighteen oh six onwards. Hmm. It's either true that this phrase exists, or it's <laughs> uh, completely yes. Right. My questions would be: mm-hmm. um, Surely the farmer would want to rescue his donkeys much earlier. Well, the thing is, he takes them down river anyway to some common grazing land outside hmm. Leeds. So they're kind of just in his on his land eating his grass and eating his stuff. So if they're perfectly happy on an island, he's kind of got no reason to rescue them. Mm. So if if they've become a bit of a sort of local spectacle, then so be it. Another question. If he's used to taking them in the boat, mm. why, after he'd taken everything else out, when the donkeys were still left, why was he not fine? As he usually was when he was... Oh, but yes, by that point, he was already kind of stuck on the rock. He mm. would have normally have sailed past it. But in the darkness and in the mist and all the rest of it, sitting a lot lower in the water, he kind of can't jettison the food and the wine and everything that he's bringing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Forget the doggies. He can't jettison <laughs> the food and the wine. <laughs> if he's sort of bringing the merry to this um, tableau vivant of the nativity. If we were in a similar situation, I feel you would take food and wine over stranding me on an island as well. I would voluntarily get off onto the island with the food and the wine and <laughs> leave you in a boat with two donkeys. <laughs> Something you you were very confident as you told this story. Mm-hmm. So that usually means one of two things. It's either yes or yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the flaw in my argument there. Mm. But when you're that confident, because usually you kind of cobble your facts together the morning of. Mm-hmm. I think this is something you've done research on in the past. Okay. So it's something you know because... You didn't have to refer back to your notes very often. No. See, I'm using my th- my thinking brain, mm-hmm. trying to get through your lies. Um, I'm saying nothing. And the fact that you spoke so well and so quickly on it, mm-hmm. I think you haven't cobbled that together in a morning. <laughs> I wrote this in August. <laughs> <laughs> but then you wouldn't have looked at it again unless you kind of knew the background of it. Right. Which is why I'm going to say this is true. Okay. And that's my final answer. Okay. The Howden Dyke donkeys? They existed. That story mm-hmm. was all BS. <laughs> <laughs> Two donkeys in the back of a rowing boat. <laughs> <laughs>
getting two doggies to go down a gangplank onto an <laughs> island. They're quite tame doggies. They use work animals. <laughs> no, that was all BS. Oh. A, a living tableau of the nativity. <laughs> Full of farm animals. That's not uncommon. That's happened so many in a parish church as well. These things happen. Everyone's too drunk to help and thinks it's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was all all completely untrue. I'm sorry. If I mean, if that sparks the expression "howden dyke donkey," I'll I'll, I'll take it. But uh, no, that was all untrue. I'm sorry. I think that puts you on a four-three now, Paul. Oh, I say that normally we'd be way past the end point by now, but. As a surprise, here's bonus facts number two. Oh, Lord, and we're I already going even, into this. I don't even have my notes to refer to. Oh, here we go. So, completely unrelated to your last fact. Right. In, in this bonus fact game that I'm throwing in here. Yes. On New Year's Eve in Spain, it is tradition to eat 12 grapes before the clock strikes 12. <laughs> so, New Year's Eve. Why? It's midnight, because each grape represents each month of the coming new year. Right. And it's good luck if you can finish all 12 grapes. All right, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm so bamboozled by it. I'm still thinking about donkeys. That's how, um, that's how the bonus game works, Paul. I, Gotta keep you, keep you off. I your toes. think you've made that up. I think that's BS. That's actually true. Oh, <laughs> I'd do that. I'd like, yeah, apparently, I... it's it's a Spanish tradition since like the late 1800s. To oh, wow. Eat, if you can finish all 12 grapes before the clock strikes 12. Like, I, I could eat a whole bunch in 12. <laughs> <laughs> 12 bongs of the you, clock. You wouldn't you even... turn mi- around, I'll be on a cheese and crackers. <laughs> you wouldn't miss a beat. No, absolutely not. But oh, oh wow. that puts it on 4-4. Four, four. Four, it's a point frenzy, this oh, game. It's a point festival. Oh, I'm going to need to lie down. Well, well done, Paul. And as we kind of had a quick chat during the break there, you mentioned every donkey fact we've ever had has been BS. Yeah, because you had um, an emperor or someone riding in a battle on a donkey. I think it was a, a duke in the Holy Roman Empire. That or was it, yeah. yes. So look out for some true donkey facts in 2020, everybody. I'm going to keep doing BS ones. <laughs> <laughs> so my final fact. Okay. And I'm going to go a little bit different. Mm-hmm. There's no history or anything on this one. Quite modern. And we're off to Sweden for my final fact. Okay. And how Donald Duck is connected to Swedish Christmas. <laughs> okay. That's good. You're completely bamboozled, Duck. Yeah, I, I have no idea where you're going with this at all. Before we get to Donald Duck. Right. Well, actually, do you know what um, Donald Duck's middle name is? <laughs> um, Trump? <laughs> no, Donald Trump Duck. No, it's Fondleroy. Uh, really? It, it, yes. Fauntleroy. And in Disney canon, Donald Duck was in the Navy, the US Navy. Well, really? Yes. At what rank? <laughs> I, I think he Mid-shipman? was. A, I think he was an able seaman. Actually, that's that's a film I want to see from Disney in 2020, like a harrowing World War II drama starring <laughs> Donald Duck and his time in the Navy. They can like remake Das Boot. <laughs> <laughs> with Disney characters. With, with Disney characters. <laughs> It'll sell millions. Good grief. But before we get to Donald Duck's connection to right. Swedish Christmas, uh, we've got some uh, just general Swedish Christmas facts for you. They have a special kind of drink, which is a replacement for Coca-Cola, and they call it Yulmust. Right. You must be making this up. Whoa! <laughs> I set him up and you knock him down. And it's kind of, it's there's no direct translation for it, but Yule, obviously Christmas, mm. and must 
means not yet fermented juice of fruit or berries. Right. So it's kind of, it's on the way to being fermented into alcohol, but it's stopped right. before it becomes alcohol. Okay. So it's like partially not quite fermented fruit it's, juice. Uh, it sounds delicious. <laughs> well, this, our Swedish listeners are listening. I'm sure it is mm. delicious. And one of the interesting facts about Yulmust is it outsells Coca-Cola during the Christmas season. And in fact, Coca-Cola sales usually drop by about 50%. Really? Because everyone just switches to Yulmust. Does and it look like Coca-Cola? Um, yes, because they use, a, they use like a syrup, like Coca-Cola would use a syrup. Oh, as the right. Base. Yeah. But it was only been around since 1910. It's like a non-alcoholic alternative to beer in Sweden. Why Yulmust then? Why, where's this tradition come from? It was a, a priest, I think, who just wanted an alternative to beer over Christmas. And there oh. wasn't that many soft drinks. Wow. Right. I don't know if Coca-Cola was, was being sold in Sweden in 1910. Don't know. How far it went. Hmm. But because... I'm intrigued by this. I might, I might track some down and try it. But there's one more interesting kind of treat the Swedes right. have at Christmas. It's called a, a smorgasbord. Right. It's a sandwich, but it's made like a cake. Okay. And it's in the shape of a cake. And it's layered. Like So instead of like you would have like a layer of sponge, then some cream. Yeah. This is like a layer of bread, then like a layer of ham, then some eggs, uh, mayonnaise. And then each layer has a different sandwich filling. Oh, good. And then okay. to- you can be topped with like liver pate, olives, <laughs> shrimp, uh, caviar sometimes as well. It's and so, they, it sounds dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> You're forgetting how fussy and eater I am. <laughs> and it's served like a dessert cake. So you would cut it like a cake and then oh. give people... So this giant sandwich, you'd give them a slice. I am a, I'm a sandwich fan, but that mm. sounds awful. <laughs> Patty, <laughs> eggs, olive... <laughs> Ham. Apologies to anyone who enjoys a smorgasbord mm. around this time of year. Okay. Those are the true facts about right. Swedish Christmas. Right. I, I keep waiting for like roast Donald Duck to turn up or something. <laughs> oh, we wouldn't roast Donald Duck. He's a lovely yeah. chap. So this is what we're on to Donald Duck now. Right. So is this yes or is this BS? Mm-hmm. Every year on December 24th at 3pm, half of the Swedish population sits down in front of the television and watches... The Walt Disney production from 1958 called From All of Us to All of You, which is a Christmas special hosted by a presenter, but it has a Donald Duck cartoon in there. It's a series of Disney cartoons. Okay. But in Swedish, this program is called Kala Anka och Hans Vanna Onskar God Yule. And it's called Donald Duck and His Friends Wish You a Merry Christmas. All right, okay. And the reason it's so popular is because when the show first aired in 1959 in Sweden, that was just when a lot of Swedish people were starting to get televisions in the home. And it was such an amazing thing to say, oh, this is, oh my God, this is Disney cartoons. Oh, right. Straight. We don't have to go to the cinema to watch it. It's, right. Donald Duck is in our house. Okay. And over the years, it became such a tradition that now everybody on Christmas Eve just sits down and watches it as a family tradition. Right. Okay. That's plausible. Mm. That's interesting. I like this. Now, the problem that I have with this is that I know very vaguely of another story that's very much like this. Mm. And I think it might be in Germany on, it might be even be Christmas, Christmas Eve, it might be Christmas Day though. There's um, a tradition of watching a really old black and white kind of slapstick mm-hmm. performance of, I think it's someone like playing a butler 
or something and serving a meal to to a kind of grand old couple mm. um i wish i could remember what that was called because i'm sure i've written about this before <laughs> <I've> come, <laughs> now when i actually need that knowledge i can't remember anything about it and and that's ridiculously popular i think it's like half of germany watches mm. this every year so i know that there is something else along those lines so i don't know if you've read that and then went i'm going to do my own version of this and I want to shoehorn in my knowledge of Donald Duck being a midshipman or something. <laughs> able seaman. <laughs> An able seaman. I'm going to shoehorn that in and say that it happens in Sweden. Hmm. But then again, it makes perfect sense. Those kinds of festive Disney things always did really well and were huge. If that is around about the time that people were getting television sets, it would have been a big deal that suddenly Disney cartoons were on in the household. Yeah, and Christmas is a time for traditions and all the rest of it. So it, mm -hmm. something like that would very quickly become part of the lore of it all, I guess. So it is very plausible. The only sticking point that I've got is whether or not you've concocted this based on this mm -hmm. other German story. I could see that you would, but I think this might be true. <sighs> Or have you done a twist on this German thing? What's oh, I don't know. What's your... What's your... My, my gut is actually saying that you've made it up. Mm. But, yeah. Okay. No, I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to say this is BS. I think you've made this up. I think you've made this up based on the fact that half of Germany sits down and watches that comedy sketch. Final answer? Oh, no! I can see <laughs> me getting this wrong. I, th I think that might be wrong, but I'm, I'm going to say this is BS, actually. Yeah, BS. Final answer. This is actually true. Oh, I knew it. One of the other reasons it kind of became such a tradition is because there was only one TV channel in Sweden until 1969. Uh, so like right. basically everyone had to watch Donald right. Duck and Friends. Wish you a Merry Christmas. <sighs> I absolutely talked myself out of that. You did. Have you heard about this German thing? I though? haven't, but it doesn't surprise us the fact that yeah. other countries have something similar. I'll I'll have to track that down again and we can put it on Patreon or something we'll have a chat mm. about it but yeah I thought maybe you in doing Christmas research you'd have stumbled across <laughs> that and then I done a twist there I hadn't heard of that one but it's I'm kind of I, like, I don't care that I've lost the point because that is a nice story that mm. something like that unites half the country and actually I think it's a series of cartoons and Donald Duck's just in a couple of them right but don't know why Donald Duck gets kind of top billing on mm. this because it's actually is that a pun? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise that top billing ooh <laughs> It's the because the show is presented by Jiminy Cricket. Right, it presents okay. cartoons from like the thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties as well. Oh, so it's a sort of best of Disney. Yeah, right. But okay. Donald Duck's obviously quite prominent. In right. Oh, right. I got some like a little bonus for you. Just mm. some some of the names of other Disney characters in oh, right. Swedish. Right. Uh, Chip and Dale. Oh, the Rescue Rangers. The Rescue I Rangers. I used to love Chip and Dale. <laughs> in Swedish, they're called Piff Ock Poof. <laughs> Mickey Mouse is called Moose Pig. Moose Pig. Uh, well, Moose is mouse. Yeah. But pig doesn't mean pig, obviously. Yeah. It means spirited. Oh. So spirited mouse or energetic mouse. Oh, right. Okay. Which I think is better. Mm-hmm. Goofy is called Langben. <laughs> I couldn't find any translation of Langben. Wow. So if there's any Swedish people listening, could you tell me what Langben means? Is that all one word, Langben? Or yeah. is it like Long Ben? <laughs> no, Lang, Langben. And Woody Woodpecker is called Hacke, Hackspet. <laughs> and what's Donald Duck's name in Swedish? Um, Kalle Anka. I forget wow. which one's Duck and which one's Donald. It, Anka is probably Duck, because Duck in German is Enter. Mm. So there's probably some sort of connection there. Northern European sort of connection. Yeah. To it. Okay. There you go. So most importantly, Donald Duck was in the Navy. <laughs>
All right, well, well done, Tones. Thank you. That good little Donald Duck knowledge there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so last fact. Now, remember last year's Christmas special, we finished with a story about uh, Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens. Yes. And how it was immensely successful, but also mm. financially... Somebody tried to con him, they yes. wrote a plagiarised yes. version of it. Yes, yeah, and it was a huge financial kind of disaster mm. for him. So, yeah, uh, Christmas Carol published in 1843. As I say, it was massively successful. It had sold out by Christmas Eve, um, and by the following Christmas, like uh, Christmas 1884... It had already gone into its 13th edition. Um, you know, hey, I'd, I'd take that. I'd take that. I'd barely get to a second edition for most of mine. Um, but yes, it, it, it was kind of such a disaster financially that um, we kind of really never made very much money from it. Uh, one thing we didn't really touch on uh, last year when we were talking about this was some of the inspirations behind the story. One, okay. We did talk about one, which was uh, the goblins who stole a sexton. Oh, God. Yeah, and you thought I meant a sextant. <laughs> <laughs> the Goblins Who Stole a Sextant was a, a, a short story, that a kind of story within a story that turned up in the Pickwick Papers. And it's about a miserly old sexton, a church warden, who's um, kind of convinced of the real meaning of Christmas by some goblins that visit him on Christmas Eve. Mm. Um, so there's a, an obvious parallel there to a kind of earlier story that Dickens had. Um, but there's lots of kind of real world inspirations as well. Dickens's solicitor, a friend of his who was a solicitor, Charles Smithson, his office on Chancery Lane is thought to be the inspiration for uh, Scrooge's sort of oh. actual premises. Well, I'm sure that solicitor wanted to stick around after that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more maybe like the... Um, the Smithson, the... I've based Scrooge off of you. <laughs> I think it's more the sort of layout of his office, maybe more, oh, well. more, more than the character oh, that of the That's what he told him. Oh, yeah, yeah it's not, not you, Smithson, it's the, it's the layout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and there's an old urban legend that he based the name Ebenezer Scrooge on a gravestone that you spotted in Edinburgh, which was to Ebenezer Lennox Scroggy. <laughs> and according to the story, listed under his name was just the words mean man. Mm. Um, and there's a story that Dickens was giving a talk in Edinburgh and he turned up too early. So he went wandering around the city and saw this gravestone and then went and wrote the story based on that. And unfortunately, there's absolutely no evidence that that gravestone ever existed or mm. that anyone um, bearing that name who would, ever... Who would even pay for that? <laughs> there's also a rumour that instead of saying mean man, it said meal man, which would have been like a grain merchant, someone who, who was working in the grain trade. But again, there's still no record that Mr. Scroggy ever existed. Mm. So, yeah, it's unlikely that that's true. But there was, in terms of the character of Scrooge, a real life inspiration. Is it Paul Anthony Jones? <laughs> <laughs> that's just my love of nightcaps that uh, we're going on. Who was a very miserly person from the 18th century. And it's his life story that is going to be the yes or BS fact. Okay. So we're returning... To the uh, Yes or BS Great British Eccentrics (laughs) for this last fact. Okay, so this is a man called John Elwes or John Ells, depending Mm. on how you you say it. Um, Having said that, he was born John Meggett in 1714. He was born in London and he changed his name as he kind of, both his parents died when he was very young um, and he changed his name in line with an incredibly wealthy uncle that he had, whose mm. surname was Elwes. And so he kind of did that just to sort of curry favour with him. And of course it worked. So his uncle left him his huge estate. Oh, and that's um, all it took. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after he died. But um, Elwes's own family was, was very kind of well-connected and very, very wealthy. Uh, his dad was a brewer, um, who ran a, a big brewery in London. His grandfather was an MP. Um, his mother was the granddaughter of an MP. Um, and his maternal grandmother was uh, part of the family that's now the Marquis of Bristol. So it's a mm. very kind of well-connected family. He went to Westminster School and all this sort of stuff. But there is a sort of very 
long streak of uh, miserliness that runs mm-hmm. through this family. There is an awful rumor that his mother uh, starved to death because she was too penny pinching to feed herself, <laughs> which is probably a later invention. Lovely festive story. <laughs> what a what a good way to finish. Yeah. So, but yeah, he kind of took all of this uh, sort of miserliness on board. And his uncle, who was Sir Harvey Elwes, MP, who was the one who left him even more wealth than his family already did, his estate was valued at around about £100,000, which in the 1700s is worth about £8 million today. Mm. So it was a very, very wealthy uh, bloke. And he left all of this to his only nephew. And yeah, this miserliness continued and kind of John Elwes took this to insane lengths. And I have a couple of stories of examples of his miserliness. Mm -hmm. So one time he was out walking one night, um, as he does, around one of his many country retreats that he's inherited from his uh, relatives that are dropping like flies. Mm -hmm. And he walks through some thorn bushes and very badly gashes both of his legs open. Um, So normally he would just bind them up himself. You know, he's not going to pay any doctor's bills. But these are quite badly hurt this time. How fast was he going through these thorn bushes? What was he doing? (laughs) So... So... uh, he returns home and he gets the, calls the doctor out and he tells the doctor to only treat one of the legs. <laughs> he says, don't treat the other one. And if the other leg, which I'm not going to do anything to, heals before the one that you've treated, then I owe you nothing. So the doctor Ooh. says, absolutely, I'll take that bet. What happens? Uh, the other leg heals quickly. Um, and Elwes wins the bet by about two weeks. <laughs> Why did the doctor know? You pay for services rendered. Um, there is a story that he used to uh, always go to bed at sunset because he'd never wanted to light any candles. Mm-hmm. So s- <laughs> much like an animal, he was sh- <laughs> chiefly diurnal. So he slept for 14 hours in the winter. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe so. Yeah. Yeah, he was once out uh, riding with uh, a gentleman called Edward Topham, who ended up being um, one of his uh, biographers. And while they were riding down a country lane next to one of his estates, he spotted a discarded wig stuck in a hedge. (laughs) (laughs) No! And so he stopped the horse, he got out and he went, look at this perfectly good wig stuck in this hedge. Took it out, of course the wig was torn to shreds, uh, but that didn't stop old penny-pinching... Elwes from wearing that wig for the next two weeks until it literally <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> this is <laughs> even you know you can't get through this now. He used to dress. <laughs> I'm keeping going. He used to dress so shabbily that he was often sort of mistaken for a beggar, even though uh, he was elected to Parliament one mm. time. He was, he was a member of Parliament for uh, Berkshire for quite a long time, um, and one time he completely disappeared, and no one knew where he was. And he owned quite a few houses around the country because he'd inherited them for everyone. Um, So a sort of search was launched. And one of the uh, stable boys that worked on one of his properties said, no, I haven't seen him for ages, but I did see an old beggar break into the barn a few days ago. That's the only person I've seen around here. So they go, oh, let's check the barn. And it isn't the old beggar. It's Sir Sir John Elwes, who's incredibly ill with a fever and had gone in the uh, barn in a delirious state and collapsed and he was only uh, found completely by accident and, and survived because of that otherwise he would probably have died quite early on um, but yes he was uh, dressed so shabbily that he was mistaken for a, a beggar I don't know why I'm looking at you when I say that <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions um, he once uh, went to Newmarket races to accompany one of his friends who, who was there and because he didn't want to spend any money 
Um, he kept his friend talking for 14 hours to avoid them having to buy any lunch. And when his friend pr- pressed them for, you know, maybe we should go and get some food, uh, he took out of his pocket a single pancake <laughs> that he had put in there two months earlier. And he said, all you have to do is eat the good bits. I, You've literally taken aspects of your own life, <laughs> applied them to this fact. <laughs> Um, and I have uh, one more. Oh, of, oh, it's not over. I yet. have one more of these stories, uh, which possibly to top them all is that once uh, he saw a rat pulling a dead moorhen out of a pond, <laughs> and he jumped down off his horse, scared the rat off, took the moorhen home, and ate it. None of this is true. <laughs> so yeah, there you are. Now all of these stories begin. <laughs> Became legendary oh, in, sure they in did. the 18th and 19th century for uh, Sir John Elwood's um, miserliness, and it's thought that this uh, this real man, <laughs> this completely genuine man who was an MP for Berkshire from 1772 to 1784, uh, it's thought that his sort of legendary miserliness uh, perhaps perhaps inspired Charles Dickens's tale of Ebenezer Scrooge. Because that was my favourite scene from A Christmas Carol. <laughs> When Scrooge chased a rat and a moorhen, and no, then he, he ate the moorhen. Chased away a rat. Off a dragging. dead moorhen. <laughs> that was my favourite scene, and it's a classic to this day. Yeah. Uh, this None of this can be true. It can't be. First of all, when he was dressed as a beggar and went to the barn. Why he didn't... wasn't dressed as a beggar. He, he, the clothes that he wore happened to make him look like a beggar. So if... The stable boy saw what he thought was a beggar going mm. to the barn. Why didn't he go and get like the groundsman and say, "Hey, there's a beggar going to the barn." Oh, maybe like, it was just a, left him there. Maybe it was a common occurrence. A common occurrence for beggars to you know, wander out into the countryside. Vagrants wandering the land, <laughs> oh, looking for somewhere to sleep for the night. There's no, they're not doing any problem. <laughs> the, worst, the worst thing about this is this could be like a Bill Bork's. Could be completely true. It's just another Victorian eccentric. Well, no, it's a century earlier than that. It's not a Victorian eccentric. Mm. It's an 18th century uh, eccentric. This can't. It can't be true. Like, so, <laughs> why have I never heard of this documented anywhere? I don't know. Do you, do you tend to read up about 18th century parliamentarians? <laughs> you think you'd know about the inspiration for Scrooge? Well, you you'd never heard of the goblins who stole a sexton <laughs> because nobody's heard of that. <laughs> Yeah, it's in the Pickwick Papers. Anyone who's read that will know that oh, story. This is, but how did his how did his leg heal quicker than the one the doctor healed? I, I don't know. Why? Why did? <laughs> oh no, he's having one of his crises. Why? How? How could thorn bushes damage your legs so much? How did he get back to the house if they were that damaged? Surely he could have just bandaged them both. I don't know. This I, is I, such BS. I haven't, going, I haven't read the doctor's report. I can't in good conscience say this is true. <laughs> I, you seem bamboozled by the number of odd stories. I have to say this is BS. What about the wig found in the hedge? <laughs> none of this has, None of this can be true. <laughs> but then at the same time, when I had that Bill Bork story where he had an armoured bicycle that was hijacked. And taking that with. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know what? I think I'm I'm winning five four the minute. Mm. So I'm going to risk this last point. Okay. On this has to be BS. You you this can't. None of this can be true, and okay. it's going to be true, isn't it? I'm saying nothing. You're, if this is true, your buying is like a pint. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm saying nothing. Right. <laughs> We're ending on an eccentric, as we always do. <laughs> that's my final answer. Okay. This 
It has to be BS. Okay. That story mm-hmm. is true. <laughs> <laughs> how did this happen to one man? How did, he, how did the rat kill a moorhead? <laughs> Surely the rats aren't big enough to, to, to drag the body of a moorhead out of a pond. Did, did, it go, did it wander into the pond and drown first? Moorheads can't ridiculous. drown. Moorheads are water he, How did a wig get into the countryside? <laughs> It must have blown off someone's head. <laughs> they just didn't collect it up. There goes me wig. This is ridiculous. No, um, I'm afraid John Elwes's uh, miserliness is completely true and likely inspired Ebenezer oh, Scrooge. This oh. is completely true. Yeah. No. No. Well, who knows what, how delicious more hen meat might be? <laughs> A two-month-old pancake. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> now, I should say, actually, that, um, yes, he was well known as a miser, but uh, reading up on him, he was actually very generous with his friends. Mm. And that person that you met at New Newmarket Races, he didn't put any bets on himself. He lent his friend £7,000, which Jeez. in the 1700s is a ridiculous amount of money. And his friend just frittered it all the way on bets. So he was really generous with his friends. But unfortunately, he's kind of gone down in history as being really penny-pinching. You see, I was about to say, this guy sounds exactly like you, until you mentioned <laughs> generous with their friends. And then... <laughs> hey, I thought you were a, a Christmas present. I think the Not m- a particularly the... exciting one, but... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, but I, I haven't got you anything. <laughs> <laughs> the friendship's the present. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Oh, it's Christmas. I think we can't end the Christmas special on oh, a draw. It's ended on a draw. But I we can't end it on a draw. Oh no, he's off again. I've got my final my final bonus <sighs> facts. We're never doing this ever again. <laughs> no. We're in double figures. I don't think it works, but <laughs> we'll try it anyway. <sighs> so, the final final fact, Paul. Okay. Do you know the real reason robins are associated with Christmas? <laughs> There's like a hundred different reasons. They're, they're all folklore. Right, which one all? have you got? Apparently, because Victorian postmen in the 1880s used to wear red jackets and... <laughs> and they were all morbidly obese <laughs> and had very sharp faces. <laughs> so and they were all called Robert. People, <laughs> people called them Robins because they wore red jackets and because they were delivering Christmas cards. Oh, look, this Robin is delivering a Christmas card. <laughs> That's so tenuous. Okay, so postmen used to wear red coats. Yes. So people used to call them robins because robins have red breasts. Mm-hmm. And because <laughs> because do. sometimes postmen deliver Christmas cards, the robins, by a third degree of separation, <laughs> came to be associated with Christmas. Yes. It, that probably isn't true. But it's probably established folklore that it is true. So I'm going to say you haven't made that up. I think that's a true story. It, it, well, it is apparently true. <laughs> really? <laughs> but the fact that I didn't do any research on it, I just found it on... I just Googled fun Christmas facts and like the first kids website that came up. <laughs> that's the audience we're going for. <laughs> <laughs> Literally just pick that off. So oh, you go, well. So as my gift to you, you can have the ele- that 11th point. The, or, that 11th hour victory. Uh, well, thank you very much. That's very magnanimous of you. That's no problem. That's but a... it, I still don't think that's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's a, what an epic game. 11 exactly. points. What did we actually learn today, though? I can't remember. This has gone on for days. <laughs> Is it just, New Year yet? Let's just go to the pub <laughs> and we'll see everybody for season four. <laughs> <laughs>